grace. Even when we have it, we still may not get it. Let's talk about it with Tom Wood on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're so glad you're here. I say it all the time, mean it all the time. You always have a place at our table. And in case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Our executive uh, producer, Matthew Porter, is here. Matthew, you mentioned today was a religious holiday. Uh, that is correct, Steve. It is International Bacon Day, so uh, I'll be observing those sacraments at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, pigging out, as it were. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> our, uh, our producer, Jinx, is working hard in his little glass booth. You have no idea. Uh, and you have no idea. Some light New York-style pizza... Some Chicago style, but Jinx likes frozen pizza. Why is that, Jinx? Because they're cheap and my kids can make them themselves. (laughs) Her video director, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. And for those of you who think prayer doesn't work, John reminds you that Tom Brady has come out of retirement to play another season of baseball. <laughs> I always knew you were spiritual, John. What? <laughs> baseball? And Dr. and Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George remembers a time when wax was something a guy put on his car and not in his hair. And Kathy <laughs> Wyatt is the uh, soft feminine side of this program. It's a while off, but eventually she's going to retire and take a less stressful job like air traffic controller or something. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've been looking forward to this this program. Uh, Our guest is Dr. Tom Wood. Tom serves as president of Church Multiplication Ministries. responsible for incredible things happening in churches around the country and internationally. And prior to starting CMM, he served as director of church planning for a church planning network in Atlanta. And he has planted and pastored two churches personally. Tom earned his doctorate from Reformed Theological Seminary. He has coached leaders for nearly 15 years, and Tom has written and co-written several books, and his latest is called Vital Grace, Getting Everything for Nothing. And as an aside, uh, Tom and I have been friends for a very long time. I don't know if he knows this, but he's been a benediction on my life in some very tough times. As you know, I've been doing this grace thing for about as long as I can remember. 
And there was a time when arrogantly, and it wasn't true, I thought I was the only one doing it. And the reason it felt that way is that I was getting so much criticism in so many places and from people that I respected. And during those days, I'd get a note or a phone call from Tom. Uh, and in various and sundry ways, Tom would say, you go, bro. Uh, don't you shilly shally, man, you've got it. You're right. And there were times uh, when that's what kept me going. <laughs> in fact, I'd probably be a Buddhist today if it weren't for Tom Wood. Tom, uh, this is a great book. Uh, for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons is that we need to be reminded often, right? Right. We, it leaks out of us, doesn't it? What causes that? I mean, how, you know, well, if I had, say, a, well, if I had a cure for cancer, me? I would never forget. I mean, I would always be thankful. I'd always be. Why is it that we, that we may get grace and then we lose it and fall into a works kind of righteousness thing. What causes that? Well, probably I think we can go all the way back to the garden, right? When um, our first parents uh, made that awful choice. And so the default of the human heart always is to go back to it's trying to figure out how to make a way for itself and do its own thing. But, and uh, do it ourselves. Please, Father, ourselves. I'd rather do it myself. That was the temptation, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, that amazes me sometimes. I, uh, early in uh, my own ministry, when I realized I was supposed to teach grace and it became more and more radical each year, I thought, man, that is so cool. My friend Tony Campolo, you know, he's got to make people feel guilty and beat them over the heads. That's his calling. And I get to tell them that God loves them. Man, they're going to love me and think I'm wonderful. Boy, was I wrong. I don't know what made them so angry. Yeah. But they didn't like what I was saying. And I would say, I'm telling you that God loves you no matter and then that would make them even more angry. There's something in our DNA, isn't it, that's attracted to the to a, a, a sin management works righteousness, do it right or God will break your legs kind of religion in it. Absolutely. You know, back in that garden, so uh, the evil one was able to separate uh, God as the God of love from God as the God of law or the rules. And uh, once he separated in, in Adam and Eve's mind, mm -hmm. once he separated those two, um, they, uh, you know, we know, we know what happened as a result of it. And that's probably that dichotomy that, you know, we still feel today, right? You, yeah. You know, for years, uh, you have been uh, responsible uh, in teaching leaders in general. Uh, pastoral leadership, and you have had a significant impact with people who are planting churches. That's the one thing I never, I want, you know, I want a job with a regular paycheck. I can't do, I can't do the church planting thing. 
But I've noticed, because I've had a lot of students who were church planters, that by and large, a church planter is a get-it-done guy uh, or lady. And uh, those church planters are uh, people who do it right, who do it often, who stay with it, who persevere, and are sometimes parath. Uh, Pharisees. <laughs> How do you can you be a church planner and believe in grace? Oh, I hope so. I've done it twice, so I hope that you can <laughs> and believe in, believe in it. It is interesting that uh, when you do preach that, even in a new church, you know, kind of setting, it, it's it's very unique. You know, you get uh, often. T- I would have people come to me and go. How come no one's ever told me this before? I've been in church a long time and no one's ever told me what you're telling me. I've, I've thought it was about what I had to do, how my, you know, I had to perform. And I've never heard this, what you're talking about, or, or I'd get the, the people that you mentioned, you know, that the, they would come to you and say, you know, I, what you're saying is pretty dangerous. I mean, if people really believe what you're saying about God's grace, they'll go out and sin. And I go, well, that's true. They will go out and sin. But even if they don't believe what I'm preaching about grace, they're going to go out and sin. So, <laughs> You know, I found that those uh, who don't get grace, and as you mentioned in your book, they get the words of it. I mean, the message has always been there. It's always been clear. You said, no, why didn't somebody tell me? They told you a lot. They didn't believe it, and you didn't either. But those who don't get it, Everybody slips in the dark occasionally, but those who don't get grace don't come back and you'll find them in the wilderness and they reside in the wilderness because they think it's over and God's through with them and they are just not good enough. And so they stay in the darkness. Has that been your experience? Yeah. And and how sad, you know, and, and it's difficult to try to explain to them what you heard isn't really the message of God's free and uh, saving grace. What you heard was a mixture, a combo, uh, a confluence of your effort plus what God's done. So you've had to add and you're tired of adding. And uh, they've walked away really from the adding part. Like they're tired of just trying to add to their salvation and just give up. Yes, and they do walk away. And I think that's the warning probably in, in Hebrews 6, right? That once they've tasted it and once they, you know, they partook in some of those things, but once they fall away. I agree. That's kind of sad. Well, we're talking uh, with Tom Wood. His book sounds antinomian. Vital grace, getting everything for nothing. Antinomian means against the law. And Tom's not there, but he sounds like it. And if you don't sound antinomian, you're probably not familiar with the gospel. At any rate, that's what we're going to talk about during this hour. And if you're a preacher or a Christian leader, you got to listen to every word because you need this You need it profoundly. I do too, but I don't want to talk about that. We're coming back like Jesus.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, We're talking with my friend Tom Wood. His uh, latest book, by the way, he writes generally for leaders and pastors, and it's kind of esoteric. And, you know, if you're not doing that, it's probably... But this book is for everybody. In fact, this would be a great book to study in a small group in an uptight church. Uh, if you have a preacher that makes you feel bad every time he preaches and and everybody's looking at you like you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny because you said the wrong thing in the wrong place in the wrong way, then suggest that in the small group of which you're a part, you get the book Vital Grace, Getting Everything for Nothing uh, by Dr. Tom Wood. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Tom, early in the book, you talk about the backstory of grace and, you know, you reference Adam and Eve. Obviously, it stretches at least back to there. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that kind of um context and and what it means for us in understanding grace. Well, I think the premise that I was trying to make is that if we don't, if you don't understand your backstory to life, your back personal backstory, the backstory of the gospel itself, um, then you, then you're going to miss, you're going to miss the whole point of it. You're going to miss what grace is really about. If, if the backstory, uh, if you're just kind of bad, and you need Jesus just to make, you know, just to like fill in the gaps, like he's, you know, um, then, then your life, your journey of grace is going to be a very weary, probably a very weary and uh, difficult journey, you know, more difficult than, um, than it needs to be. If you understand the cap, the, the thing that the, about grace, it has to captivate better hearts is that we're not just, kind of dead um we were dead we're mostly dead. dead you're mostly dead yeah i was trying to think of the, what's that movie uh, yeah. uh princess bride right princess bride the yeah. the walking what? mostly dead yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you? if you don't if if you see yourself as dead and that jesus came and made you alive in an instant then it's purely by grace and and um that's why that's to me is that that's why that's why that's important. But even before that is the understanding of that the grace of God was extended even to the fact that he even made us, that he even entered into 
a creative aspect that, of which he had no, there's no reason for God to create us or to create the world or whatever. I mean, he was completely um, whole in himself. And, and uh, so the, the first act really of grace is God speaking into time and space and saying, you know, he created the heavens and his, and created, then created man. So again, even that, when you think about today, and of course that pushes you forward in the book, you know, talking about our, our identity, you know, our gospel identity too, about creation, but we can get into that as, as we go mm-hmm. forward. I just think that's so important. What is the identity of a Christian? Yeah. So, so a, a lot of my, a lot of my upbringing past Steve Brown, um, and by the way, you're, you're, you're very kind in a lot of things you said, and I probably would have been a Buddhist monk had I not been introduced <laughs> to Steve Brown, you know, I'm going to say it 50 years ago. Um, and then as a pastor, you know, as a young pastor and just writing letters, even as a college student, you know, writing you letters and, inter- and engaging with you and you pushing back and um, meeting you periodically, you know, and, and, but anyway, all those things, in fact, as you, we're on, we're on a, so I, I even comb my hair the way Steve combs his hair, part it the same way. Um, I got so enamored. But anyway, um, a lot of the people that I, uh, in the journey, and you know some of these people too, all of you do, um, said basically say that your identity is, is found in your adoption. So it's a family kind of identity, and, and, and that's the key to your identity. But, but that, is a, that is one aspect and an important aspect, but it's not the only aspect of our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ begins, again, back in the story, at the very beginning. God is the maker. He created you. You're a creature of his. And you were made in the Imago Dei. You were made in God's image. And that has to form our self. That, that forms our self-awareness, our identity of who we are. As much as I'm now an adopted, redeemed kin, made family with God through the work of Jesus. And, uh, and now I'm on this journey, which is the third, what I call the third aspect um, using an ancient term, I realize uh, a New Testament term that we're also a dis- we're now disciples, and Jesus is discipling us as as his followers. But when you think about um, when you think about where we are now culturally, where everybody is about culture is saying even and it's crept into the church that you can self-identify, you choose who you are, you have to decide for yourself what you want to be, who you want to be, how you want to live your life. That's antithetical to the to the gospel of grace, because grace begins with, no, God made you in his image, and you're his creature. You're, you are um, of, of a great value in the way that God has made you. And as we begin to see ourselves as image bearers of God, and that that ultimately is what he, want, he wants to take us to, is to recreate in us the image that he originally designed us to be. Um, that's, that's where the story is taking us. You know, that's probably the reason uh, pagans don't want to believe in God. Because if there's a God, then he's in charge. He owns us. We are his. If there is no God, then I'm God. Right. And if I want to identify as a woman... If I want to be something that is antithetical 
to the helpfulness of the community. If um, if I want to be selfish and prideful and mean-spirited and angry, then I'm free to do that because I'm my own God. And so autonomy becomes pretty much the reason uh, that people fight against their being a God. Maybe grace, because, you know, if there's grace, somebody's got to give it, and that means that God gave it. And I needed it. Yeah. That's the big deal. That's the big step. You know, Martin Luther said we're great sinners and we have a great savior. Well, if you don't see yourself as a great sinner, uh, then you don't need you just need a little savior to help you with your sin management so you can stop smoking and cuss a little bit less than you did uh, last time. <laughs> uh, that's, that's why Jesus went to a cross. <laughs> Guys, we're talking uh, with Tom Wood, and his uh, book is Vital Grace, Getting Everything for Nothing. And uh, I don't know of anybody who gets grace and shares it with more winsomeness and profound insight than Tom Wood and with a whole lot of people who affect a whole lot more people. Uh, you, ought to, you ought to be listening to this, because as Martin Luther said, we got to keep preaching the gospel to each other lest we get discouraged. And frankly, I was discouraged this morning. I don't like Tom, but I thought I'd have him on and he could tell me about the gospel. From Key Life comes two mini books, What Do You Do for a Living and Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know, a gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. Hey, we're so glad you're with us. Uh, We're talking with Tom Wood. My longtime friend, uh, and his latest book is called Vital Grace, Getting Everything for Nothing. And that's true, but it it has to be nuanced or you won't get it. Yeah, you and you warned me of the title um, that I I was, you know, (laughs) sticking people in the eye or something by saying it that way, (laughs) poking people in the eye. Uh, Actually, you know, they always accuse people like Tom of of, uh, teaching cheap grace. And what you've said in the title, in effect, if it's not cheap, you can't afford it. 
Yeah. And, uh, but there's more to be said than that. Matthew. Well, uh, you know, I want to ask Tom about, um, in the book, you made a really interesting observation, uh, about Romans seven, when, uh, Paul is wrestling between, uh, what he believes and what he does. <laughs> I think if anybody's been a Christian for any period of time, you like you've lived, You've lived that where like, I, I can't do these, I can't reconcile these. Um, and you make a really great point where you say what, what he writes is who will save me. Mm-hmm. He doesn't write what system of reforming <laughs> my behavior will save me. Yeah. Uh, we get stuck there a lot. Tell me a little bit about that and what that means, what he wrote. Well, you know, again, um, kinds of the systems that are out there teaching. And, and, you know, I went to a Christian school, I went to a Christian college and basically it was after um, moral conformity. That's what it mm-hmm. seemed to be. That was the emphasis, you know, sinless, you know, don't, don't do these kinds of things, but do these things, you know, um, kind of thing. And so everything was after moral restraint, you know, like, and, um, and so Paul says, but, but Paul says in Romans 7, he goes, there isn't a moral system to restrain my behavior. You know, he's looking for deliverance. He wants help for this because he feels the, the struggle of it. And I would just say that as, as uh, every, others have rightly said, understood, you know, that Paul's wrestling there is the, the fact that he's wrestling with his lack of ability and he's trying to, you know, this life shows that he's a new man. I mean, he, he, the spirit of God is in him and showing him, you know, um, a pagan doesn't care, you know, really at the end of the day. Right. I mean, um, so, but he cries out, he says, so who's going to rescue me? Who is the person? Who's the one there? And again, I think that takes us back to the story of, of what this story has been all about from Genesis three where God promised someone's coming to rescue you. There is someone coming and he will rescue you from this, this uh, bad situation that Mm. our parents have put us into. That's what Paul's crying out to. So Mm. who's the person and how does this person come to rescue me? But Tom, don't we, um, even those that are maybe a little bit more knowledgeable have been taught a little bit better about, grace don't we have this horrible proclivity to revert back to looking for some kind of a formula or some kind of a system that's gonna help us to do better and be better and that kind of thing because of this we it's just something that we forget all the time you know we can say you know it's not about it's not about me it's not about us it's all about jesus and yet then you can turn around and like the very next thing that you do is well if i do this then jesus will be a little bit more happy with me you know than he was yesterday and that kind of thing there's i i just always feel it's like a gravitational pull mm-hmm. to find that thing surely there's got to be something out there that will make me say the right thing, do the right thing, be more faithful so that God will be more pleased with me. Even though after all these years, in my case of being affiliated with a grace ministry, I know that's not true, but I feel like I always go back to that. Yeah. That's why I wrote this book. Cause we always do go back to that. that's yeah. the problem, you know, is that, and that's why, you know, 
no matter how many books are out on grace and and i you know my editor took out a whole list of books that i had on there you know talking about it as i was opening this book um but you know you can't write enough about this because that's true we're always defaulting to that and and um that's why our forefathers in this whole grace journey have always said, you, Steve mentioned, you know, Luther, he, he, he didn't say you've got to preach. He did say we've got to preach it to us, to ourselves, but he said, we also have to beat it into our heads. And he said to beat it into one another's heads, this grace thing, <laughs> because yeah, we forget it. We, it, it, uh, I say in the book, you know, I, I remind us in the book, uh, you know, the apostle Peter and the great missionary statesman Barnabas, when they got to Paul confronts them at Galatia and he says, you in, in his letter to the Galatians, he goes, you have reverted back to rule, rule keeping. So if the apostle Peter can let it slip out of him and a missionary statesman like Barnabas can let it slip out, of him, it's going to slip out us too. Yeah. 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 Man, such good stuff. My uh, late friend, Rusty Anderson, had a pastor calling him that uh, had failed miserably. And he said to Rusty, uh, I've lost my platform. And Rusty said, you never had a platform. For the first time in your life, you've got a platform. Don't screw it up. (laughs) Maybe we have to reach that point. At any rate, if you do reach that point, you better have this book, Vital Grace, Getting Everything for Nothing. You can't take credit for something that you got for nothing. We're going to talk more about it when we come back. Hope you do, too. irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know... She seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face-to-face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We're hanging out with Tom Wood. You can keep up with him at CMMNet. That's cmmnet.org and on Facebook at cmmnet.org. Kathy? Tom, before the break, um, Matthew asked you a question about um, Romans 7 and Paul's struggle with, you know, um, what he believed and what he did. And, and the fact that he asked the question, you know, who will save me as opposed to saying, you know, give me a list of rules or give me a system. And my question follow up on that was, 
don't we just, or am I just speaking for myself? We have this, no matter how much we say we believe and we want to, we want to understand grace. We keep gravitating to trying to find something that if we can just do this, we'll do better. We'll be better. We will, uh, you know, we'll have a better track record with God or whatever. He'll love us more or whatever, even though we know that that's really not the case. And you were following up with that. Yeah, yeah. So in the book, we tr- I try to, to tease out, first of all, this whole sense of everything, I think, from our, from our conversion on, first of all, is grounded in the sense of, of our identity, ba- making sure we understand our identity to what we have. And we already talked about that. There's, there's three aspects of that. And I think those three things, that you're, that you're made in God's image, you're a creature, what I call creatureship, the kinship part, that we're made family of God, Jesus has saved us, we've been adopted as sons and daughters into his family um, through the cross uh, and his resurrection. And then, um, and then that we're following now. I mean, we're not home yet and, and we all struggle and there's this ongoing battle, but we got to remember that it, it's clear from the Bible that Jesus is discipling us. We're not, I mean, that's the whole point is that Jesus is the, is the leader, the teacher, and we're his disciples. So he's discipling us. So anyway, I think that a lot of that first has to be happened there. And, and, um, but then how does that practice work itself out on an ongoing basis? And, and we propose, I propose in the book, a thing called we've, we've titled gospel 3d, the three dimensions of, of this grace. And that this ongoing journey now takes us and, and this is, we used to call it a dance, but the Baptists got offended because they don't dance. So we couldn't call it the, <laughs> The, the, the gospel dance. We had to change the thing. So it's the dimensions of this thing. But this life is this life is an ongoing um, life of repentance and of putting on faith. And so let me give you the D's. They're in the book. But what we call the first one is distress. That there's that as a Christian, as a follower, I get distressed over my sin. I get distressed the fact that I do fall away. That I don't believe. That I and I have to come back and remember that that's not what the gospel is. That's not what Jesus has done. So I have this distress. I, mean, I repent of that. And um, then, then there's this delighting in Jesus. There's a delighting in what the cross has really done and, and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ has really done and is doing for me. And I have to delight in that, put my faith back, back on that. And, we, and I talk a lot in there about what does it mean to put your faith, to have faith, you know, uh, Jim, Jim Moon's uh, our VP of training. And we have this little thing. We text each other. If we're, if we're somewhere, you see the, one of those signs says, believe, just believe, you know, we, we share, share that with each other because that's kind of the idea of, well, I, mean, I just, I just kind of muster up this belief thing, but you have to believe in. So, so we ask people in our, in our training things, when we do the seminar. So what do you have to believe in? They say, Oh, we have to believe in God. Okay. But what else do you have to believe in? We have to believe in Jesus. Well, what else do you have to believe? What do you have to believe about Jesus? People say, oh, that he died. You have to believe that Jesus died. Okay. How many of the Roman soldiers, when they killed Jesus, believed that Jesus died? Every single one of them. That was their job. But what is it about? What is it you have to believe about Jesus' death? Um, we have to believe that he died for me as a substitute, that he took my place on the cross. And then you have to believe that he was raised from the dead in a bodily form. So, so faith, an ongoing faith, an, on, an ongoing application of that. 
Um, and then there's a direction. I mean, the gospel does take us someplace. And, um, you know, the Bible's pretty clear. God's pretty clear that he has, um, there's a dual love. We're to love God and we're to love our neighbor. Um, and uh, the gospel takes us to that place of understanding that there's this dual love that God, God has for us, to love him with our whole heart, our whole being, and to love our neighbors yourself. But there's only one person that's ever done that. We can't do that. And that's going back to that sense of, okay, now I've got to repent of the fact that I don't do that, but I have to believe in the Jesus who did that. And then I follow after that Jesus. So, Tom, you... Uh... You you talk about, I mean, as you're, we're, well, our need for preaching the gospel to each other, uh, and uh, you you identify um, roles of influence that we can have in the midst of as we're struggling constantly to come back and repent and be restored. Uh, but even in the midst of that, we're able to influence others. Can you talk yeah. some about those roles that you identified? Yeah. So we invite people to, to, so the gospel, like I was just saying, the gospel influences us, but it, it like the dead sea, it can't stop in us or it just, it, it stinks. <laughs> so it's got to flow through The gospel flows into me as a change. And then through me as I'm influencing the lives of other people. And uh, so we invite people to think about what people in your past have, who, who are your mentors, who coached you, who poured in, who taught you, who are your teachers, um, who prayed for you, who are these people that influenced into your life? And then think, well, what, what skills has God given me that I become a mentor or a teacher or a coach um, or a praying person for, or a disciple maker or, uh, with other people, because, because the gospel moves us from being influenced to being influencers. So I have CMM is a, is part of the, we're in the church vitality business. And one of the things that we do in church vitality is we use gospel coaching, a very specific kind of coaching with the leaders that, that we're working with so that we're applying these grace renewing dynamics, all the things that we've just talked about um, into a very uh, specific area of somebody's life. They're a pastor or a planter or a leader in the church and those kind of things. And uh, we get to ask these guys and women, all kind. we have women coaches. Um, we, we, we ask the kind of questions that nobody else is asking. And it all has to do with uh, what God's doing in their life and how this gospel is being played out, what they're believing about when they stand with Jesus. Oh, Tom, this hour has gone by so quickly. Time with you does that. Uh, thanks for writing this book. Uh, just reading it reminds me what this is all about. You've done that for a lot of years in my life, and you're doing it in a lot of people's lives. Don't you shilly-shally and come back. Thank you, Steve. Guys, we're out of here, but we're going to come back and tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. And as always, you'll be amazed and surprised uh, with our guest. I don't know who it is, but it'll be good. Don't go away. 
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, thanks for being with us uh, for this hour. By the way, before I forget, be sure and check out our new, uh, uh, and and you're going to have to tell me, Matthew, what the, what the website is, but, we have a new thing called, uh, it's just Bible reading. Yeah. And uh, you can have your devotions without opening your Bible. Just turn on Key Life and I'll read it to you because I like you. Where do they yeah. go, Matthew? Go to keylife.org slash Bible reading and thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I loved having Tom with us. I had a pastor call me one time and said, Steve, I feel like all I do is talk about grace. I've got to, I've got to branch out. You know, I'm the pastor of a church and there's a lot of stuff that's important. And uh, I said, welcome to the club. And then as I've gotten older, the more I've realized that everything we do and everything that we say, every relationship that we have, Every time we're involved in a church uh, meeting or a church ministry, every mission we have, every bit of it is a manifestation of God's grace. Uh, Paul said we have this thing in a clay jar so that everybody will know that it's not us, that it's them. So when you see self-righteousness, uh, read this scripture and then read Tom's book, Vital Grace, Getting Everything for Nothing. Every time you begin to think, you know, Jesus is very fortunate to have me, uh, get a hold of Tom's book and read it or listen to something that Key Life does, because this is not a part of the Christian faith. This is the Christian faith. This is what it's all about. Kathy, who's going to be with us next week? Next week, the title of the book is Grace at Work. We're on a roll with the grace thing, and our guest is Brian Chapel. Oh, man. <laughs> See, you said it was going to be good, and you were right, and you didn't really even know for sure. Brian told me a long time ago, Steve, keep doing what you're doing because it's important to me. And I thought that was because he was learning. <laughs> it, he meant 
as long as they're throwing rocks at you, <laughs> they're not throwing rocks at me. So keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Ryan's a good man, been around, been faithful, and God uses him in a magnificent way. We hope you'll join us next week. We'll be here, same time, same place. Hope you'll be here, same time, same place. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth. <laughs>